0: Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. Before we get too deep into the questions today, as a reminder, the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast, if you're a first-time listener, is a Q&A podcast and an interview series. Uh, at the moment, we're, you know, we've done a few interviews, but we're going to be doing a lot more uh, coming up soon, uh, but it's also a Q&A podcast. So this is the Q&A podcast for the first week of May, 2022, and um, we're... We have a lot of cool stuff going on right now. So there are two courses that are likely to be released this month. The first one that's going to be released probably within the next week is called the Legends of Language Learning. And this course is a series of interviews and clips. It's actually over 100 clips so far, and we're going to keep adding to it as time goes on of us talking to xenophiles and polyglots and language learning experts and people who are very successful at learning language, people who are getting involved in uh, Chinese society, people who are running businesses that teach language acquisition. And we've broken it down into a 100 clips. Some of them are just a few minutes getting across a certain point. Some of them are more discussions that are more 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, But we've interviewed uh, Gabriel Weiner from Fluent Forever, Jake Gill from Scritter, uh Scott Draper, who is a, a Chinese bilingual. Uh, it was he's English, he's British, but he's a, a bilingual host of events here in China. Um, and uh, let's see here, who else do we interview? We interviewed um, Jared Turner from Mandarin Companion. We interviewed Kaiser Kuo from uh, Sub China. Dot com and you know there's there's more there's a more than that and we're gonna keep adding to it as time goes on you know every time we do a new interview we'll put the clips into this Legends of Language Learning course but the first iteration of it will have over a hundred clips uh, broken down into categories like immersion um, big picture and motivation study techniques Mandarin Chinese specific topics uh, you know because many of them are just general language learning topics some of them are specific to Mandarin Chinese uh, things like uh, resources that we've uh, you know all these people we interviewed many of them have great products that you can use to help your language acquisition journey so we talk about the resources there Uh, and uh, and of course we also put the full interviews there if you want to see them Uh, but it's really an excellent resource and we're very excited about it so look out for that one coming and then uh, we have the much-anticipated immersion course coming. This will probably be close to the end of the month, maybe in June, hopefully the end of this month. And uh, that will be uh, hugely helpful for people looking to get Mandarin into their eyes and ears as many moments of their waking hours as possible. It will give, will give you loads of resources, great mindsets, and uh, we've done most of the editing of the main content for it. Uh, we're still working on some of the resource videos, but... Yeah. Anyway, let's um let's get into the questions and comments from this week, but just look into look out for the Legends of Language Learning course and the Mandarin Immersion Masterclass coming both this month hopefully, hopefully. And uh yeah, some great stuff. Let's get into the questions and comments from this past couple of weeks and we start with a great update from Christine who's been on the course for about two years and she's gonna give an update on all the things that she has observed and uh, experienced so let's get into it this is really interesting stuff she says hi there i am also now at the two-year mark give or take a week i started the pronunciation course in april and the rest of the course on the 4th of may well that's awesome yeah, i'm actually recording this on the 5th of may so perfect all right so also here to give an update and reflection based on my experience i am now at 2772 characters i'm not following the formal advanced course since it was not available when i completed the intermediate and by the time it came out i was already far along in my own learning material that i created So I'm just keeping on with that approach. That being said, I'm still very much involved in the Mandarin Blueprint part of the course, especially when it comes to listening immersion. At around level 45 or so, I stopped reviewing sentence flashcards. For the past six months, I have been catching up on reviewing these sentences in various formats. For levels 43 through 49, I just listened. For levels 50 through 57, I created a listening deck in Anki again, and I'm doing listening reviews Uh, of these sentences at around 10 to 20 per day depending on what i feel like i'm about halfway through these i unlock i unlock about i think she meant to say two or three per level from 50 to 57 to spread out the focus i'm taking a very reading focused approach when it comes to immersion outside of mandarin blueprint After I finished all the Mandarin Companion books and the first two or three of The Monkey King, I started to read more difficult books. Firstly, some graded English readers. These are available on Kobo, and they have English in the first half for Chinese readers wanting to learn English, and the Chinese translation in the second half. I found these to be really good in terms of getting into the habit of reading and driving me to learn Uh, new slash more characters not everyone recommends these types of books they are translated and not native but i found them just at the right level to read to get into more difficult books i also read some native children's books then more translated books not graded and i'm currently busy with harry potter which is surprisingly easy to read at this stage apart from that i am also working my way through the little fox videos I can recommend Rocket Girl. I went from Rocket Girl to Alice in Wonderland and now on Monkey King on level five again, which I'm quite enjoying. What I am really proud of. I feel really proud of the fact that I I have managed to get to this level of reading and comprehension. It is becoming easier and easier to read, although I still use Pleco's Reader with the built-in pop-up dictionary. After Harry Potter book one, I'm going to try native content again from the Heavenly Path recommendations what is still a challenge. Listening is still difficult. I can easily watch Little Fox on level five and follow most of that, as well as easier animated series, Netflix, such as The Hollows, A Tale Dark and Grim, Hilda, and some Disney movies, for example, Emperor's New Groove. But as soon as something becomes just slightly more difficult than these, I totally get lost. Not close to be able to watch native content, such as C dramas without English subtitles. Speaking, I shadow sporadically, but have not even started to, with trying to speak to anyone yet in terms of language partners or anything. So this is something that I would need to focus on. This is going to be my focus for the next year. Really happy with my progress, but make no mistake, it's a long journey. I have some specific tips and ideas, but this post is becoming long, so I'll post those separately. All right. Well, this is great stuff from Christine. Um and I just wanted to say, it's it's. I mean, that's amazing that you're finding Harry Potter to be very easy to read, or like, or I should say, easier than you expected to read. Um, just because that's, uh, you know, it's more complicated than you would think. In the sense that it's like, oh, it's a children's book, but it's like there's a lot of strange references in the book, and there's a a lot of uh, activities going on that are very, you know, um, complicated in terms of how do you explain them, especially when you're talking about like magic. You know, they're they're going to use Flu powders to travel through the fireplaces to get to Nocturne Alley. You know, it's like sort of these uh, kind of strange and referential things. However, uh, it sounds like you're doing well with that. And that's great. And of course, that's very helpful because you probably already know the story. So if you know the story, it, you can figure out where you are, even if you don't totally understand everything, which can keep you uh, interested. And again, it's all about how much time do you actually spend. Uh, so that's excellent to see. Um, and of course you're still in a place where you're doing lots of graded content, but you're understanding quite a lot. So that's fantastic. Now let's comment a little bit on the listening. So, uh, since you're taking a very reading focused approach, it's not all that surprising that the listening would be, you know, not as far ahead. I mean, I did this too. I also focused a lot more on reading at the beginning, uh, but, um, you know, then it there I did reach a point and you know, including now, I mean, I, obviously, I do a lot of reading every day because once you get the ability to do it, it stops being hard, and then you just do it because it's available and there's opportunities to do it all the time. Um, but with listening, one of the things that I have found really helpful is to actually start the speaking practice. So, You're saying that in this next year, you are planning to get into speaking and uh, focus on it for the next year. My bet is that this is going to really help with your listening because, you know, it's hard to describe exactly why this happens, but when you are in a situation where you need to communicate, there's sort of a switch that can happen in your brain. It's almost like your brain revs up into Chinese and you start to get how things work. You know, I was just traveling over the May holiday here in uh, China, in Tiger Leaping Gorge, and uh, then in Dali. And I found that there's lots of situations where, you know, there's a lot of number of situations where I needed to speak Chinese to deal with things like, oh, we're going to book this hotel, or we're going to get this, um, somebody to drive us to this certain place, and they can help us, um, you know, figure out uh, where we should go get a COVID test and, you know, these types of things. And I find that as soon as you start speaking in Chinese and then you're looking at them to see what their answer is going to be, especially if you ask a question, then your brain kind of like rises to the occasion because you kind of have to, like there's no, you know, you have to try to understand what's going on. So if you don't understand, you have to ask clarifying questions and, uh, you know, you just have to sometimes eat crow and go, uh, you know, well you know I mean that's that wasn't what I had to do this time but when I was in the more learning process sometimes you have to you know give people a you know just a, a sense of like okay I'm still learning Chinese maybe you could speak a little slower or not use an accent or whatever um, but the point is when you start to speak you start to train your brain to be ready to listen. And I mean, obviously listening immersion is very helpful. I mean, it's not like listening immersion isn't awesome, but there is the, the fact that you don't have to respond to anything, right? So when you have to respond to what they say, your brain, like, like really pays attention and it goes, Oh, geez. All right. I have to get this. Otherwise we're not gonna be able to continue the conversation. So it's almost like your brain, your brain rises to the challenge. And so that is something that I think can be really helpful uh, to improving your listening. And then of course, uh, you can always just switch your activities a little bit. Like, and I, again, this is always like a difficult thing to do because if you're at 2,772 characters and you're trying to get to maybe three 3,000 to 3,500, I can kind of see just pushing through until you get to the end of that. Uh, but changing some of your reading activities to being more listening based, listening to more podcasts, uh, you know, maybe um, watching more TV shows and just being a little bit more okay with the ambiguity of it. Because, you know, for example, like let's just say you pick a cheap TV show that is you're enjoying. um, And it's a, maybe a, maybe a Chinese drama, maybe just a Chinese show for natives, but you like it, right? You'd be surprised how quickly your brain can kind of like adapt even when it's not, so easy at the beginning like uh you choose to watch uh you know kai dwan that's that new show that's out that's where everybody has the same day over and over groundhog day thing and i'm sure there's more to it than that. i only watched the first couple episodes but uh you know the first time you watch it maybe you will be you know maybe you will find it to be too difficult but Then the second time you watch the, you know, you watch the second episode, and you're starting to get more of a sense of things, and you're starting to get a sense of the characters a little bit, and you're using your visual cues to try to understand what's going on. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you rewatch the first episode, and then that suddenly it seems a lot easier. And then, you know, sometimes when you switch around the activities, uh, you can end up getting a little bit more success with your listening. So, uh, changing from some reading to listening might help you there as well. But regardless, though. This is fantastic progress. I'm so proud of you, Christine. You're doing great. And of course, Christine has been showing up for two years. And that's the thing that there's no doubt about it. I mean, like, listen, you're reading Harry Potter, you know, she's as she's watching shows and understanding it, maybe not as high level, but... This is what will happen if you show up every day for two years and really two years is nothing like i mean i know that it it feels like a lot if we're talking about it like you know okay i'm going to start today and two years from now i'm going to be you know doing something but i don't know if i if i decided i wanted to learn how to weld today and I did it every day for 2 years. Well, 2 years from now I'm going to be decent at welding. You know, I'm not going to be as good as a professional welder who's been doing it for decades, but I'm going to be pretty good. I'm going to have some ability. It's certainly better than the nothing I know about it now, right? So, um it's just fantastic stuff. I really admire this de- level of dedication and I think that you know, Christine, you do another two years of this, you do another uh, 10 years of this. I mean, I haven't even gotten to 10 years yet of uh, learning Chinese pretty, pretty soon, actually. But uh, you know, you're, you're, there's just inevitable, inevitable success. So uh, that's fantastic. And thank you for taking the time to update us on your progress. I mean, that's, I I really appreciate that as a course creator that somebody's coming in and saying, okay, I've been in this two years now. And, uh, and then of course, since we're always adding new stuff, uh, it's it's really exciting to think of, um, you know what what's going on there. So like just just how you're progressing over such a long period of time, and then of course somebody in the future will get to two years, and they will have had the upper intermediate course and advanced course from the beginning so they'll look at it from that perspective but still i mean like it's just great stuff so thank you for the update next we have an email from annette and annette has been giving us lots of great comments and emails uh going through the course and so she's at a very big milestone which is the completion of the foundation course so this is actually a good opportunity for me to remind people how we've designed the course so that it will be of most value to people because Chinese, of course, the problem with Chinese compared to other languages is that you can't just start reading on day one. And reading is such a helpful acquisition tool. It's the best thing that adults can use to acquire language quickly. You know, kids, the reason why they succeed with language is because they have no other alternative, so they can't go to another language and distract themselves. uh, And because they're desperate to speak with their parents uh, to communicate. But the they don't have the ability to read, and if kids want to get advanced in a language, they are eventually going to have to read. So, the fact that we're adults and can read very quickly means that we have an advantage over children. We were talking about this in our interview with Gabriel Weiner, that you know, there's, it's a complete and uh, absolute myth that kid or kids are better language learners than adults, it's just that they are less distracted. So, you need to be able to read to be able to move quickly, but how are you going to read Chinese characters? Well, That's what the Mandarin Blueprint Method attempts to solve as quickly as possible. Now, you're never going to be able to do it as as quickly as, say, learning how to read Spanish, because learning how to read Spanish, or Korean for that matter, but let's just say Spanish. uh, You you just need to learn a few things about some different letters and how they do a a few things different from English, and uh, then you can start reading. And so you can learn a few words and go, okay, here are those words in a sentence on day one. Like it's absolutely possible. But with Mandarin, you have to get a sense of how to learn the characters. So what we do is we say, okay, uh, you're gonna learn characters using a specialized mnemonic technique that's super effective called the Henzi movie method that is just at this point, you know, except for a small group of people who suffer from a a condition called aphantasia uh, where you can't see things in your mind's eye. Like I say, imagine an apple, they can't do it. Right. So, like, so apart from that group, this is an incredibly effective technique for remembering things because it connects random bits of squiggles to actual lived experience that you've had, personal connections to all the elements of a character. So, you use your past experience again, an advantage that you have over kids to uh, learn all the different characters. And then you uh, learn. Uh, say 50 characters, and then we say, okay, out of these 50 characters, you can combine them to create two character words. Uh, and so now we're going to teach you some techniques for learning two or more character words. And these are all the highest frequency words in the language. So you got a lot of bang for your buck. If you learn something, you're going to get a chance to Reinforce that knowledge over and over because the most frequent words are used all the time. And then you learn 105 characters and 60 words using these techniques that we teach you in the first two phases. And then you enter phase three, where we get you reading comprehensible sentences made up of the characters and words you've learned, which is actually what you need to acquire language through reading. And so then you do pages three, four, and five, which are mostly focused on, you know, you continue to learn characters, you continue to learn words, but then you are getting a lot of acquisition through the comprehensible sentences that you're reading. Comprehensible input is the key to acquisition. If you understand something, your brain starts to pattern recognize and it goes, okay, that sentence I understood, that sentence I understood, these 10 sentences I understood, these 50 sentences I understood. Okay, and these 50 sentences, these 10 had a similar grammar pattern. So my brain is now really starting to get this pattern. And like it's like, you don't need to consciously try to do that as long as you understand. The pattern recognition happens naturally, right? So then, you do, you do that all the way through phases three, four, and five. And in phase four, we expand from sentences into paragraphs. So you learn five sentences through the course. And we say, hey, these five sentences you learned, put them together like puzzle pieces, and they create a little story, a five-sentence story. And then um, in phase five, we do actual stories. And we again, we do introduce the sentences beforehand, but they're like your stories uh, fairy tales that you might have known like so three little pigs or some of the Chinese fairy tales like Ca Tong Chengxiang sao Tong We's the elephant it's a little Chinese fairy tale and so the you get to that point and by the end of the foundation course phases one through five you've now learned around 600 characters and about 1000 words which covers 90 per, or sorry 80% percent of the language by frequency so if you look at a Uh, an article of a thousand words, a thousand characters, you'll know 800 of those characters in that article. Now, that remaining 20% takes a while to get through, but the fact that you can look at anything and recognize so much means the opportunities to learn are all over the place. And so that means that you can start to get a lot more out of your Mandarin immersion. So the foundation course, finishing the foundation course is a huge milestone because it makes it so that you can turn on almost anything Chinese and yeah, you won't fully comprehend it, but you will have the opportunities to comprehend a huge amount. And then of course, once you get to that point, the uh, success starts to snowball and you get to the point where you finish the intermediate course plus 94%. You finish the advanced course, you're going to recognize 99%. Now, The intermediate course, the upper intermediate course, and the advanced course are longer than the foundation course. However, they are also – at that point, because you know so much, the learning is just constant. It's just like bathing your brain in new stuff that it can wrap its head around. So, all right. With that in mind, Annette has finished the foundation course, and let's see what she has to say. Hi, Luke and Phil. Just officially finished the foundation course. I can't believe it. What a feeling. I do have to admit – that I still need to catch up on the conversation connectors. Hey, that's okay, by the way, Annette. The conversation connectors, that's something that we realized were a little bit too advanced for people who were in the earlier part of the course. I actually think that conversation connectors should come later after you've had more immersion because uh they're they're very hard to remember because they're so lacking in meaning to some degree. They're meant to keep you, you know, um. They're meant to keep you speaking while you're thinking, while you're trying to think. So you say some stuff that doesn't really matter, like, in a manner of speaking, another way to think about it would be, you know, I'm not really sure, but, you know, like these types of things that aren't, the, in and of themselves, they're not too full of meaning so they're actually quite hard to remember and so i think that it's better to worry about the conversation connectors after you finish the intermediate course at least that's my uh, opinion we that's why we took it out of the foundation course because people were just saying all the time it's so hard to remember these and we were like yeah because you don't you need more language acquired before they make sense so anyway just my point being that don't worry about that too much for now okay so when they first showed up, they were too hard, and I decided to revisit them later. Later is now. I figure this will take a week. Okay. That and also going over the various G, E, G, W, and G, S tags with the sentences hitting me for each category issue all at once and not spread out in the various levels where they become diluted, as in lost in the sea of other sentences within each level focusing on their words. Once I've gone through that, I will feel feel and be ready to tackle the intermediate course. Yeah. Okay. So this is interesting. So... These tags was something we did when we were using Anki. We don't use Anki anymore. And, you know, these tags can be helpful. I'm not, you know, saying that they are completely unhelpful. But I do sort of think that you don't – like, I, I worry about over-intellectualizing grammar points. Because, yes, it's good to just read a bunch of sentences that all have the same grammar point. Because that's the best way to get a grammar point quickly. That's a, I guess you could hack that. But I still think it's not as good as seeing those grammar points in the context of larger – Things like a TV show or a book or a short story or something like that, right? Because if you just look at a bunch of sentences, it's still a sentence out of context. And yeah, a sentence out of context can have enough meaning in and of itself to be interesting, but it's harder. It's, it's easier to be interesting if you're seeing it in the context of like, Hey, Ifei is mad at Zhang Xiaoxian because he uh, d- didn't show up at her birthday party and she really wanted him to. And now she says this sentence. Right? Like that makes such a difference in how emotionally you grab on to the content. So I would say that, um, yeah, I would say that it's okay to do this. I mean, obviously, <laughs> anything that you're doing in Chinese is better than nothing. So, like, I don't want you to, I don't want to discourage you from doing that. But on the other hand, um, I would argue that the sentences don't necessarily. They're not necessarily diluted if you then expand into more immersion content, which is why the Mandarin Immersion Masterclass in combination with the Mandarin Blueprint method is gonna be such a boon to everyone's study. So uh, let's continue though. She says, as a gift to myself, I downloaded and installed the Language Reactor extension. I deliberately held off doing so because I figured having the foundation course was important and not to spend time looking up too many words and making the process of using it more enjoyable to be honest, I have been itching to do this. Yeah, that, this—that's um, that's great. So that makes sense. Because like I was saying at the beginning of this response, the language, uh, the foundation course is enough so that almost anything you'll see, you'll recognize 80% of the uh, characters. And that means that and the characters and words. And so that means that you'll find the language reactor much more useful. So that's a perfectly reasonable decision there. Somewhere in the early 20s, level, uh, the early 20 levels, all the sentence reviews became too much, and gradually I ended up resuspending each level's sentences as I unsuspended the next level. This kept sentences to a nice number. I chose this as opposed to only unsuspending the red sentences. I find... Reading the same word in different sentences is a great help to seeing it in different contexts and it is placed in different positions within the sentence. It is also nice to have some straightforward sentences interspersed among the challenging ones, right? Yeah, that, no, this is true. So wait, you know, we have a kind of fast track where we say you can just do the required sentences if you want, um, to get through, you know, the, the all of the sentences more quickly, but if you do all of them, you do get more chances to see the characters in different contexts. And of course you know, it's always like this back and forth because I know that you're eventually going to see all of these words and characters in the context of larger um, uh, pieces of work, whether it be uh, TV shows or, or movies or, or books or whatever. And that the when once you start doing that, once you start getting to real content like that, uh, the <laughs> The reinforcement happens so often and so numerously that you can't even possibly track it. It's like way too much. I mean, like, you know, obviously there are tools like link.com that do make an attempt at this, but even still, you know, really it it should just be about getting Chinese into your ears and eyes as often as possible. And then the amount of times you're going to reinforce the things you learn is just endless, right? Um, But let's continue. I never stopped reviewing the pronunciation mastery flashcards. They are now anywhere from zero to eight cards a day, usually two through six. I noticed this past month that the tone pairs, some of which were particularly or or were perpetually very challenging, all of a sudden no longer are. I am not saying there are no cards that do not challenge me, but there are only just a few. Obviously my ability to hear the distinction with similar sounds has improved. Awesome course. And I'm getting to the point of overcoming my reluctance to write something on a completely public Facebook page. You deserve the endorsement. Annette. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And, uh, you know, your point here of uh, I never stopped reviewing the pronunciation mastery flashcards. This is what's great about SRS is that you never really need to stop reviewing anything because the SRS algorithm will eventually get it to the point where you're only seeing two to six cards a day. And as you continue to do that, eventually you're going to see one or two cards a day. And then eventually it's going to be there are no cards for days. And then eventually one card pops up that you haven't seen for like two years. And then if you get it right, you won't see it for you know six years now. And so that's what's great about SRS. It basically you know, make sure that you only are seeing the stuff that you have trouble with. And, uh, and it's just great to hear that you're finding that feeling of, oh, the tone pairs aren't giving me any problems now. And I can, you know, see a new word and see the tone pair and know how it works. I mean, it's really, uh, it's just so satisfying that you guys are finding so much, uh, value in the combination of things that we're doing here. Next, we have Helena Liu on the same lesson that we just had for Annette which is basically the end of the foundation course. So phase 5 complete. She says, "So excited and proud. Thank you for the opportunity to achieve something I once found impossible. Thank you for videos and content that provide clarity and boost motivation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you." Well, Helena, we are delighted about this. I mean, I can't tell you guys enough how important it is to me to see these responses from you guys. I mean, we are working every day to try and make the course better to make you guys feel like we care because we do. I mean, like, uh, I just saw Luke this past weekend. Um, you know, we don't live in the same city anymore, but he lives in this beautiful place called Dali, which like, uh, I'm more than happy to visit as a vacation. He just lives there. <laughs> so it's pretty great. And, um, I, we were talking about this and like, you know, we just briefly chatted about Mandarin blueprint. And, you know, when you're on a vacation, you chat about it from a, like a larger perspective. You know, if I'm talking to him day to day, it's usually about like, what are we trying to do? What tasks are we getting done or whatever? But we were talking about kind of, what are we in this for? And, you know, we definitely are not just in it for the money. I'm not going to say like, we're not in it for the money at all in the sense that it's our jobs. We need to get paid. Um, Otherwise we wouldn't be able to do this, but it's not just for the money. Like, I'm sure that we could do something else that would make us more money, but it's more about like, We have really struggled to get to the Chinese proficiency that we're in now, and we want to help people not go through that same level of struggle. It's a big journey, like Christine said, um, but at the beginning of this podcast, but we really want you guys to find it helpful. And so every time we get a message like this, it just – you say, you know – Thank you for the videos and content that provide clarity and boost motivation. Well, let me tell you, when you guys leave these comments, it really boosts our motivation. So there is a huibao, as the Chinese would say, a a feedback loop of, of return, I guess you could say. So I'm delighted about this. And... You know, keep it up. Just you know, it's all about showing up. Just like Christine said, of two years. Well, she's showing up as long as you keep showing up and keep following these uh, bits of advice that we're giving you. I really believe that you're going to be excellent at Chinese. And so, you know, what a thing the world needs at the moment. All right. So the next set of uh, questions that we have coming here are a bit more uh, technical. So let's get into some more technical questions uh, around. Yeah, let's get into some more technical questions around sentences and some grammar patterns and some words, and let's do it. Abigail, on the Three Little Pigs, paragraph two in phase five, she says, I'm struggling to translate 下的不清, 下的不清. So this is 下 as in to scare. Then we have the 得 that comes after verbs to say, how did the verb happen? And then 下的不清. And then, so she says, does mean they were frightened not light, lightly i.e. a lot exactly yep that's right so you know what you're getting here is the pattern you recognize you know pao de hun pao de bu right like that would be like you know you ran fast you ran slow i like run as a good example of like this pattern because you have pao and then to indicate how fast were you going or how in what way you know were you running um uh pao the hun bun, right like you know you, you you ran in a very clumsy way right um but xia de bu what you're learning here is that you can use qing and zhong so light and heavy uh in this way to describe f- being frightened you know ha- the way in which you were scared so uh you th- you know i would extrapolate from this you could probably say xia de han zhong or xia de bu and that would be understandable because Sometimes in different languages, you use different adjectives t- to describe how something happens. So, you know, for example, um, in Chinese, you say big and small when it comes to age. You don't tend to say older and younger. I mean, you can. It's, it, it, you, can make, you can say that and be technically correct. But usually you'll say, if you're making a comparison, I'll say, da. If I say, 我比你大。I'm not saying I'm bigger than you physically. I'm saying I'm older than you, right? And so exactly which adjectives get used to describe certain things. For example, uh, I scared you heavily, right? Or I, 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 the way I scared you was heavy or light. You know, that's not exactly how we tend to say it in English, but um, it's nonetheless perfectly fine and you can kind of wrap your head around it I mean, it's not like it's like you know heavy what how could that have anything to do with scared but actually if you think about it when you're scared sometimes it feels like you've been something heavy has been applied to you so it sort of makes sense right and this is what's so beautiful about second language acquisition is that you can see the same phenomenon everybody in every part of the world regardless of what language they they speak gets scared and then how do the chinese describe it? well they say it's heavy right you know it's an interesting way to think about it right so yeah, you're correct, Abigail. Your instinct was right. So take that as a notch for, you know, you maybe, you know, it's one of those things, when people ask a question and they get it right. I'm always like, well, then that's interesting because you could have just let, you know, you could have trusted it. But you know, I get it. You always want that confirmation, right? So cool. All right, Andy Williams on 分开 in context. He says in the sentence 我们分开后很久没有见面了, is the meaning changed if you use 以后 instead of ho by itself? So the difference here. Woman fen ho, woman kai Right. So no, there's no difference uh, really. Uh, the only minor difference, if I was like forced to try to pick one, would be that ho uh, is a little bit more spoken. You know, like you just using ho by itself without uh, any without might be something you wouldn't write. But it, to to be clear, saying i or jho both perfectly fine, uh, in spoken or written, but, uh, you probably wouldn't use ho by itself in formal writing, but that's about it. Meaning wise, it's the same. Annette Bicknell on vocab boost. Uh, so this will be in the intermediate course and she asks a good question here. She says, uh, here's a sentence. And uh, she says, what is the interpretation of do? I looked it up searching for alternate meanings and could not find anything that made sense. It is a rather colloquial expression. How does to read study turn into being at or at? So I'm not sure where she's getting being at. Maybe she's thinking, uh, maybe she's putting du zhong together, but it's du is middle school or high school. Um, sometimes they'll say, you know, the, the, division between middle school and high school i mean this is different in like every country isn't it um you know i think about how the my british friends talk about their time like they say they say primary school and secondary school and stuff and that's for in america it was elementary school followed by middle school followed by high school in china refers to everything after elementary school and then they will say to refer to like i guess just before university so that time but 中学 is really you could if you say 中学, you could be referring to the time you were in high school as well so basically middle school high school so du means studying in middle school so what du at the time of studying in middle school i i didn't have a cell phone so I still didn't have a cell phone. And so like the interpretation of "du" here is you can do any type of school. You can do dash. Uh Do Bo shi, Right. So do do dash. would be uh undergraduate studying undergraduate do Bo shi would be studying your Ph.D. Right. Um, uh, you know, so. Do Yanjo Suo. That'd be masters. Right. So like uh, the point is. Just putting du before, of course, it can mean read, but it also has this interpretation of study at this place, you know. Um, yeah, so that that's what that's about. Luboslava Jordanova, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, on Cao Chong Wei's The Elephant. Uh, and she says, or actually, I'm not sure if it's he or she, but it says, I have a question regarding the one part of the sentence. xiàng. 小孩, uh, do Kai Shin the Yo Chang Yo Chiao. Alright. Will there be any difference in meaning between Kai Shin the Yo Chang Yo Chiao and Kai Shin D Yo Chang Yo Chiao? So the difference is yo yo versus yo yo. So I to be honest, the second sentence I don't think is uh grammatically accurate. So Kai Shen the Kai Shin the Yo right? So like they, they were so happy. They, they not only sang, they also, uh, jumped. So they sang and jumped right around. And, um, and in this context, they're kind of using it more in an, as if it's a description, right? So they're, they're basically saying like, they were so happy that they, they were singing and singing and dancing, essentially singing and jumping. Um, and that is, like uh, how could I describe it? it's a that even though technically cheng and tiao are verbs in this context they're kind of being used more in an adjective sense that's why you have yo yo because you use yo twice in that sense to mean two adjectives together now yo cheng yo tiao to be honest that's not really I I don't recognize that as a common way of you know using yo twice which is also a verb to write behind a, uh, um, so anyway, um, I, I the, the, yeah, the, the, difference in meaning really is, I just don't see the second sentence as being grammatically correct, so it's not really appropriate to compare the meanings, so hopefully that helps with that. Hulan on vocab unlocked from Min, she picks up a sentence here, 中国人, uh, is the dung in the sentence indicating the end of an enumeration as in pleco yeah it's just etc it's just etc that's all that dung is so like let's look at the sentence again 中國人民具有善良、熱情等特徵 so is a uh, a characteristic right so Chinese people and is like it's within their nature like it's a it's not just yo it's it exists within them right 自由善良, so kindness enthusiasm you know so kindness and enthusiasm and so on etc yeah and i mean if we had said dung dung or or dung 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 right like you know like that's one of those uh things you can say to basically mean etc cetera, etc cetera, you know but you can also even just say dung Right, and so yeah you'll see that coming up quite a lot he Lan, so don't worry about that you'll see it's you'll see it yeah very much just etc Brian O'Connor on Xingwei in context in the sentence that type of behavior from your son has given people no small amount of frustration what function does Lai serve uh, wouldn't it mean the same if the sentence were, 你儿子的这种行为给了别人不少麻烦? You know, it's a, this is one of those questions that's like, why is it not this way, right? And it's, it's, it's better to ask, why is it this way? I mean, like, you know, because why it's not, there's a million reasons why it could be not a certain way. But like, the idea of using li to indicate what the behavior Gave and using gay as a preposition in this case. So it's like ni arts the way. So there's your there's your subject. Ni arts to the Gay so that's almost like saying for others brings uh, no small amount of frustration, right? And um so I think of it less as give. So gives other people it's more for other people brings no small amount of frustration. You know, and Dai is used all the time. Like it's a you know, Dilai Mafan, Dai Lai Right. Like it brought a difficult and hard to deal with consequence, right? Like it's like Dai can mean you know, of course Dai can literally mean like, well, 带来了一个杯子. it can be it can be totally physical but it can also be very 抽象, very abstract in the sense that it's just like it brought along an emotion with it the behavior brought along a, a feeling right and so uh and and I think that the context that makes you use Daai as opposed to leaving it out is that we're talking about a behavior uh and it sounds totally natural and totally uh you know what people would say uh gay beer and like you don't say gay very much I don't hear it like gay followed by love all that often can't can't yeah I can, I can't see I, I I can't see that being very common I mean maybe, maybe say 你儿子的这种行为给别人不少麻烦 beer I mean you could I guess it's okay but yes. Yeah, by the way, the reason why I'm not totally like sure about those types of things is because it's just my feeling for grammar. Because when you acquire grammar, you know, we we talk about this ad nauseum. But when you acquire grammar through comprehensible input, you're not consciously aware of when you've acquired the grammar point. It's just that when you go to speak, you know, you're just like, "你儿子的这种行为给别人带来了不少麻烦." Uh, like it's just you're just feeling it out in that moment, and like "带来了不少麻烦" feels very standard right so that's the type of thing you would definitely say and then it just feels weird to leave it out and it feels weird to say and I mean I guess you could say that but again like I say the is very common to use when you're talking about the the thing that the action brought about so hopefully that gives some level of context to that next we have Sal Phillips on it's a word for 败. he says why does gan in woman by gan la Change to fourth tone. I think we covered this in the early earlier part of the course, but you know, it's like "gan" is one of the first characters that has an alternate pronunciation that is also pretty common. So you can say "gan" an adjective meaning dry, or you can say "gan" an adjective or a verb meaning do, and in especially in the context of work, there are other ways that you can say "gan." Uh, as a verb in fourth tone but they're a bit more advanced and uh, you know some of them are even a little bit inappropriate um, but they you know when you say gan gun or the, yeah like just gan gun that's very common way to say doing work right and so you'll definitely see this a lot now I think we come up i think we explained it at some point in one of the videos it you know should be before by but uh even still uh, and also by i believe that comes up in phase one where we're not focused as much on uh, on the the words and sentences. They're just there as like a, hey, if you are interested, you can see this sentence with the opinion and, inter- uh, and the English, but we're not at that phase of the course yet. So we'll be sure, I'm pretty sure that when we get into phase three, we always delineate this type of stuff. But yeah, basically, gan is just, it has an alternate pronunciation, can. And this is about 20% of all characters have an alternate pronunciation, but only a small percentage of those are actually really common. I mean, they come up, um, and of course, the more advanced you get, the more you end up using some of these alternate pronunciations. But it's easy to wrap your head around an alternate pronunciation when you already know so much, right? So like, that's why we don't worry about too much in phases one and two. Uh, And so yeah, basically, it just has an alternate pronunciation and alternate meaning that you will see, and it will come up loads of times in phases three through five and beyond. All right, another one from Luboslava Jordanova cheng Wei in context may I ask what the difference is between cheng Wei and de. so there's a few differences and again as usual with words like this you'll you will get it as you see them enough in context but here's the most obvious one cheng uh tends to be come before a noun like so uh wèi lao his dream is to become a teacher, right? So 他的梦想是成为一位老师 or you could just say 成為老師. Uh and so that's an example where you put 成为 before a noun and it tends to be focused on uh like sort of bigger things it's not so, it's, it's not quite so specific like I want to become a teacher, right? Like that's a, that's like a dream, right? You know? And it's not that there isn't other ways you could use chung but that's the most common way I see it. Now bien is comes before adjectives because think about it. It's bien is the v- verb to change, and then de. Well, what's de? It's the thing that comes before an adjective to describe how the verb happened. <coughs> so bien uh, de became very angry, right? You know bien de fennu to change to becoming angry or uh pian the punk got fat uh bien show got thin right so like there's different ways <clears throat> that you could put an adjective after bienda to indicate that the change occurred now another one and this is another example of how when you compare words sometimes it's like well why these two words and not these two words to compare because again comparing words is often a linguistic thing to do now uh, from an acquisition perspective if you have example sentences okay you can compare them but you know what about biancheng? So that's the chung from wèi" and the bian from bian de. Makes biancheng. That one also tends to come before nouns, just like wèi", but uh, it tends to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit less large scale in, in scope. It just tends to be, it's more just straight up changed into this. So, um, you know, uh, shui biancheng bing right so the water became ice so noun becomes noun uh, uh and that's a good example of how you could use bian cheng. so we have cheng wei, bian de, and bian cheng. And as usual the best way to really get them is just to see them in context a lot of times though so stuart on annie laoshi review simple final a he says really like this course on several dimensions including its tone its andragogic approaches to learning chinese Its heady combination of fun and linguistic focus, its multimedia illustration and reinforcement of pronunciation, its lightness, but effectiveness when it comes to explaining grammar points and the like. It's page-turner enticement for the learner to continue and the way the whole blueprint is packaged together. Well, thank you very much. I think that that's a great feedback, and I'm glad to hear that you think that. Now, uh, here, there's another question he asks here. He says, I'm wondering whether I will receive a reply to my comment on Annie's pronunciation of ta sounding to me like cha rather than ta. Something which I found perplexing. The last communication indicates that my comment has been removed and looking at any Shu's review of Simple Final A, it has indeed been removed. Have I somehow missed your feedback on this matter? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, some, Luke and I split the week in terms of answering comments, so um, I didn't remember seeing this one. Um, but I can tell you that uh, ta and ta, the biggest difference is mostly the tongue position, right? So, uh, And of course, ch has a pretty... Characteristically different sound than t, t, but I'm sure that you'll get used to it as it goes along. But ta, cha, ta, cha, the tongue position is quite different. So, like for ta, and they're both quite aspirated, so there's a lot of air coming out for both of them. And that's the biggest difference between the Chinese t and the English t is that it's more aspirated in Chinese, ta, ta, right? But cha, That has your tongue pulled further back. So with T, it's like against the back of your front top teeth, like, or maybe the front of the roof of your mouth. Ta, ta. But then ta, your tongue is pulled back retroflex style. Ta, ta, ta. If you can see my tongue, it's up near the roof of my mouth. Ta, ta. It touches it for sure at the the beginning. Um, And so that's the difference there. Apologies that uh, we didn't get back to I mean, like, we're usually pretty good about getting back to all the comments, but hey, you know, we get so many comments per day, it's possible one slipped through the cracks. So uh, apologies about that. Wasn't certainly wasn't uh, intentional. Next, we have Brian O'Connor on xingwei in context. He says, in xingwei de gaibian, cài hui dai lai right? There's another example of dai lai, right? You know, so uh, I don't find a word that means only. It seems to be behaviors change will bring about result change. It's the it's the tai, so xingwei de gaibian tai hui dai lai the de gaibian. So that so zhiyou something tai something right. And now zhiyou can be um, omitted right. But basically, what we have here is the only way that you can change the results is if you change the behavior. So you, you say, I want to have a different result. And you might say, okay, well, there are loads of different ways to have different results. Or on a certain level, there's only one way, right? So it depends on which level you're talking about. Like, obviously, you could say, I have different results by doing different specific things. But all of the different specific things you do are going to be changes in behavior. So if you look at it from the level of, like, it's basically saying, if you do the same thing all the time, it's not going to, you're going to have a different result. So, so Another way we could say the sentence is: "只有行为的改变才会带来结果的改变." Right? So that would be an example of using the duo tie to mean the only one condition. Basically, only one condition will lead to the result that you're looking for. So that's what where the only comes from. It's that Tai song tan on gun in context. How is it that the word for heal also means with? Or and, yeah. So this is a good question. Gun is your heel. Have you ever heard the idea of someone's on your heels, right? So you're you're right behind them. Now gunja 跟着, gunja means to follow me. It's like literally, if you want to say to somebody follow me, you say gunja war, gunja war. So you're basically saying stay with my heel. And then so if you're on someone's heel, you're with them, right? Um, and so that's basically how that happened. Um, but you can also use in this context. You know, ни you know that's a uh, both are perfectly fine uh ways of saying that. Did I say 公园? anyway. So uh yeah. Point is, that's how that happened. When someone's on your heels, they're with you. Final question for this week: Eileen H on Mega in context. I'm a little unclear on when Yao means to want versus the way it is used. It's used in many sentences. So for example. Uh Yao can mean to want or it can mean will, right? Uh for example, in Ye do Yao Lai Wa How would you instead say every year, Yeah, wants to come live with us for a month? Well, you could say xiang yao. You could say yuan Um, you could say xiang by itself. But um in terms of telling whether or not yao means want or whether it means uh you know either want or will is sometimes you just got to think of the context so like for example yeah yeah do think about what the difference would be between these two meanings so like if you say it means want what that means is that every year grandpa just wants to come live with us for a month. But that's a very specific thing to just want on a yearly basis. That seems to me more like this: what we're describing here is a habitual behavior that happens every year. It will happen every year. So in that context, I think the context of the sentence is clear enough to know that it's "yell" because it's just a likelihood thing. What's the likelihood that what you're trying to say to somebody is that every year, you know, there's this very specific desire arrives in Grandpa's heart, versus he just comes to visit us for a month every year? right? Like that seems more likely, right? So, uh, there's a lot of that. And of course, remember, eventually you're going to have a lot more than just a sentence to figure out what the context is. And then also it's like, it tends to just wash over you too. It's like, you're just, you know, you're seeing what they're talking about. The conversation is going one way or the other and, uh, they use y'all and it just, it's not like you're thinking about it in the moment. It just fits. It either fits with will or want when you actually get there. All right. So that covers this week's. Mandarin Blueprint Q&A podcast. As I mentioned before, we have a couple of really good courses coming out this month. The Legends of Language Learning will be coming out soon. And then we're going to have the Mandarin Immersion Masterclass also. Uh, And so really good stuff to look forward to on the horizon. And as always, thank you so much for listening. We will see you all in the next podcast.